0: If you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I have the opportunity to uh, preach for um, three uh, consecutive Sunday evenings, and, um, and so we're going to be looking at this text in 1 Corinthians 13 for these three weeks, so a three-part series on uh, this chapter, which we're going to read through tonight, and so if you're there, 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to begin and keep those hands raised just for a minute, and uh, our brother Travis is coming around to hand those out. I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. "'Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, "'and have not charity, love, "'I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. "'And though I have the gift of prophecy "'and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, "'and though I have all faith, "'so that I could remove mountains "'and have not charity, I am nothing. "'And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor,' And though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things. Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, love, never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity, love. Uh, Without doubt, there's... Uh, a lot of confusion about this one small word, love. There are maybe some 1,300 different interpretations that have been offered through the centuries by various philosophers, poets, and writers as to what love actually is. One uh, 50-year-old woman put it this way. She said, we're led to believe that love makes us passionate With our gazes interlocked, our heart that begins to race, and our muscles which vibrate. Well, as for my husband and me, at our age, our gazes can only interlock when we are both wearing our glasses. When our heart starts to race, it's a sign of high blood pressure, (laughs) and our muscles have more of a tendency to sag than to vibrate. But without any doubt, uh, Hollywood has done us all a great disservice in the way that love is portrayed in pretty much most of uh, the movies and shows that they show. Um, I shouldn't say how love is portrayed, rather how love is perverted. Um, I know that uh, after I became a Christian, 17 years old, and began to read the Bible for the first time, uh, I realized very quickly that I had no clue as to what real love was. And as I read through the Bible, God began to show me and teach me what it really means to love according to God. And so, while I know that this is a familiar passage, it was I was very hesitant even to settle on this particular passage because it is so well known. Um, and love seems to be such a, you know, such a common topic, and, and everybody knows what that is, you know? So, it's like, what else is there to say? Um, but... Uh, Lord impressed upon me to, to choose it anyway. And so here we are, 1 Corinthians 13, as God would seek to remind us again that we need not only to learn how to love according to God, but to continue to grow in love. And so this chapter uh, is considered by many to be the most complete, the most perfect essay on love ever written. I won't Take the time this evening, but different well-known authors have made comments about just how perfect this chapter is as an explanation, description of real love. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 can be divided into three parts, which will be the three uh, sections of the, the three-part series that we're going to have here. Um, the first part of the chapter, verses 1 to 3, talks about the preeminence of love. That's what we'll be talking about tonight. Verses 4 to 7, we talk about the practice of love, that'll be for next week, and then the third portion of the chapter is the permanence of love, verses 8 to 13, and I have to give a disclaimer right away, this outline isn't original to me, Um, I remember I first came across it in one of John MacArthur's uh, writings or whatever, he probably got it from somebody else, but anyway, I have to mention that it's not original to me, but I thought it really did lay out the basic outline of the chapter so nicely. And so tonight, let's focus on the first part, the preeminence of love. And we'll come to realize just how important this topic is as we work through these first couple verses and have kind of an overview as well of love as it's presented in the Bible. Now, let's start off with love's definition, which already shows the preeminence of love just by the definition that we're going to be looking at. Now, you probably already know that. In Greek, in the Greek language, there are actually four different words that generally are all translated by the word, by the one word, love, in English. So, when, when uh, different Greek writings are translated in English, oftentimes we just see the one word, love, but it could be translating one of four different Greek words, which are very, very different in their meaning. And so, for example, there's the word eros, that's the first Greek word that we know of, it's the most common word for love used in the Greek world. So, outside the Bible, among different Greek writers, you know, of whom we have still many, many of their writings exist, um, this was a very common word uh, in the Greek world. It speaks of the sexual attraction or, or sensual love. In fact, eros was the name given to the Greek god of love, and it's actually where we get the word erotic in English. Curiously, this particular Greek word is never used in the Bible, but true to itself, Hollywood has succeeded in causing most people, and I was one of them, to equate love with the idea of eros. However, and this is important to remember, very often when eros is presented as a manifestation of love, it is in actuality the height of selfishness. If I can just repeat that. Many times, when eros is presented as a manifestation of love, it is actually the height of selfishness. Far too often, erotic love declares or speaks in this way, I love you because you give me pleasure. When you stop giving me pleasure, I'll stop loving you. That's eros. The second Greek word that exists is storge. Um, This word speaks to the type of love that exists in family relationships and is often used in the context of parent-child relationships. Now, curiously, this Greek word is not found in the Bible either, at least not in its positive form. Um, It is found in its negative form or as an antonym, okay, astorge is found in the Bible. For example, in Romans 131, the text talks about those who have rejected God and it says they are without natural affection. Okay, so that word natural affection is the opposite, the antonym of storge, all right? Um, It's also found as a compound form in Greek, philo-storge, which is in Romans 12.10, translated by the phrase, be kindly affectionate to one another. So we do find the idea of storge in the Bible, although the exact word isn't found or isn't used. The third Greek word, which now becomes more familiar to us, is the word philio. Uh, Philio is more of a social type of love, which has the idea of feeling affectionately towards someone, like the affection which exists between two friends. In fact, in the Bible, this word is sometimes translated by the word friend. Uh, When Jesus said that uh, no greater love hath a man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, um, he uses that word, or the the noun form of the word, phileo. Um, To remember the word as as the Greek word, I mean, all we need to think about is Philadelphia, which comes from the composite philio and adelphos, adelphos meaning brother, philio meaning love or brotherly love, so where we get the expression is the city, or (laughs) supposed to be (laughs) the city of brotherly love. Uh, It doesn't quite live up to its name, but uh, a good way to remember the Greek words anyway, okay? Um, But tragically, just as in Philadelphia, there are homes... Where people who live under the same roof don't even show phileo love, aren't even friends, don't even manage this form of love toward one another. Uh, A classic example in the Bible, which again I know many of you are aware of, is in John chapter 21 when Jesus comes to Peter in a desire to restore him and asks him, Peter, do you love me? And when Jesus asks the question, do you love me? He uses the word agape, which we're going to look at in a minute, the fourth. Greek word. But he asked Peter, do you you agape me? Do you love me with the agape? And Peter responds by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I I love you with a friendship type of love. And so, we see the distinction between the third and fourth Greek words in that passage in John 21, which is really fascinating. The fourth Greek word then is the very common word, which I'm sure many of you have already heard, agape. Um, This is or could be called, considered, divine love, a love which comes from God alone. In fact, in the Bible, there are a few things which are totally assimilated to God, but the Bible states emphatically that God is agape, God is love. Therefore, the better we know God, the better we can come to understand what agape love is all about. It is the highest type of love. And at the heart of this word, at the heart of agape love, is the idea of sacrifice. In fact, it's that word, agape, that Paul uses by the inspiration of God here in 1 Corinthians 13 to express what real love is. He uses the Greek word agape. Agape love has nothing to do with the kind of love that is often described as love at first sight, or the idea of falling in love, okay? Those would not be examples of agape love, all right? Um, But those are, without any doubt, the type of love which is the most prevalent in our society today. To the contrary, agape love involves choice. It is a deliberate love, a love which esteems the other person, and is the result of a conscious choice. Now, it's important to know that this agape love is not predicated on feelings. Feelings aren't a part, aren't a necessary part of agape love. We might have feelings, emotional feelings, sentimental feelings, along with agape love, but they're not equivalent to agape love. So, This form of love is not predicated on feelings. It's not predicated on the worthiness of the other person. We'll come back to that in a minute. Agape love is not predicated on the worthiness of the object of the love that we're showing. And agape love is not predicated on receiving anything in return from the other person. And so, since God, let me offer this definition, something of a A specific definition of agape love. I think it's in your notes. Yeah. Agape love is the conscious decision to meet the needs of someone else without waiting for anything in return. Agape love is the conscious decision to meet the needs of someone else without waiting for anything in return. I don't know about you, but When I evaluate the love that I show to different people, those close to me or those who aren't particularly close to me, and I start to think about that definition and much else that we're going to see here tonight, it often convicts me, calls me into question whether I have yet learned what real agape love is. Had a professor, Professor Van Warren in seminary. There might be a few other people here that knew him or had him as a professor But he was married, and uh, his wife, uh, because of uh, different illnesses and so forth, became uh, almost unresponsive. Um, She was bedridden, um, couldn't talk much, couldn't do anything, and she was that way for years. And this professor, um, it was after I had finished seminary, he would send out kind of like newsletters and uh, he would share about his relationship with his wife. And month after month as he'd share these letters and the devotion that he had and, and the love that he continued to show to her, though he could receive nothing in return, she couldn't get up and give him a hug. She, I don't think she was even conscious sometimes of who he was. And yet month after month after long month, He just continued to love her. Agape, it was one of the most beautiful expressions of agape love I think I've ever had the the honor to read. And so, as stated before, at the heart of this type of love is the idea of sacrifice. In fact, it really has nothing to do with some emotional feeling, as we often think of love. You know, I just don't feel love for this person anymore okay, maybe you don't feel lust for them anymore, but you can still love that person without having any emotional feelings or affections for them. And so, since God is the author of agape love and is Himself the personification of it, to understand this love, we need to go to Scriptures and allow God's Word to instruct us. And so, what I'm going to do is just read through several verses. Um, I think... uh, no, I didn't put them in your notes, but if you want to write them down, most of these are very, very common verses. But listen as I just kind of read through some of these verses to catch. In every one of the verses, there's the word love, the Greek word agape being used, and see if you can figure out what the key to agape love is. Okay, so here we go. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John 15.13, No greater love hath a man than this, then he should lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth, demonstrates, proves his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5, 2, Walk in love, even as Christ also hath loved us and has given himself for us. Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. 1 John three sixteen hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Pretty clear, right? In every one of the verses is the word agape, the translation in English, love. And in every one of those verses, what is the key notion that goes along to describe what this love is made of? Sacrifice. He loved and so he gave. He loved and so he laid down his life. He loved, and so He sacrificed. He paid the price Himself for us. That's what agape love is all about. And so when the Bible says that God loves, it makes very clear the kind of love that's in question. And if you remember nothing else from this message, if you don't take anything else away from tonight's message, remember at least this one essential truth, agape love, biblical love, God-like love the deepest type of love is practically synonymous with sacrifice. There is no agape love without personal sacrifice. And so, for the Christian, agape love is the love of the cross. It is the conscious decision to meet the needs of someone else without waiting for anything in return, just as Christ did for us. Romans 5.8 God commendeth His love. He proved His love for us in that while we were still sinners, unworthy, Christ died for us. That's agape love. It's a love shown even to those who are totally unworthy. One of the first verses in the Bible that convicted me profoundly and showed me just how greatly I needed God to change my heart was in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus said that we're to love our enemies. And I remember the first time that reading through the Bible, when I got to that verse, and I just stopped in my tracks. I thought, love my enemies. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a hard time just tolerating my enemies, but love my enemies? You know, doing good to those who have hurt you, praying for those, blessing those who have persecuted you, etc. Yes, even those who are unworthy of that love That's what agape love is in its very essence. So we see love's priority by the definition of the word, right? Pretty powerful. We also see the preeminence of love by the priority given to love throughout the scriptures. Um, Agape love must be a priority in our lives. It's not an option for the Christian. It is at the very heart of who Jesus is. It's not a matter of secondary importance. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. It's the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It demonstrates our Christ-likeness. And so love is the priority commandment according to Jesus. If you remember in Matthew 22 when someone came up and asked Jesus what's the greatest commandment and what his answer was. Jesus said the the two greatest commandments, the first being to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, using the word agape, and the second, like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself, again using the word agape. And so when asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus named two of them, and both of them are predicated on the idea of agape love. Love of God, love of neighbor. And in the New Testament... The Christian is commanded to love at least 55 times. 55 times we are commanded to love with agape love. We are told to follow after love, to walk in love, to speak the truth in love. It says above all these things to put on love. Love is clearly God's priority commandment. And then again, of all the Christian graces that are discussed in the New Testament and throughout the Bible, love is the priority. It is preeminent. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 that we just read, it says, Now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. In Galatians five, twenty-two, when it lists the fruit of the Spirit, and it lists nine different important qualities that the Spirit produces within us, the first one is, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, etc. Colossians three fourteen, and above all these things, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, says the text. The bond of perfection. So it's as if God were saying to us, if you had to choose among all the Christian virtues, if you had to be characterized by one quality in particular, here's what you should choose. Choose love. Learn what it means to love like God loves. Love your wife that way. Love your husband that way. Love your neighbor that way. Love your enemy that way. And then finally, love's application shows its preeminence as well. In verses, going back to 1 Corinthians 13, as we look at these first three verses, Paul speaks here of several remarkable gifts and he kind of uses some hyperbole. He talks about all knowledge and all faith and giving one's body even to be burned. But he insists that these gifts have no value apart from agape love. In verse 2 at the end he says if I don't have love I am nothing. In verse 3, he says, if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. And so his point is, without the most prominent of gifts, when you talk about all the different spiritual gifts and virtues, of all the most prominent gifts, he says, they confer no real value to the person who possesses them if they aren't accompanied with love, if they aren't accomplished by love. A person who is lacking in love can accomplish nothing, is nothing, and profits nothing according to the Word of God. So, the first application he makes, verse number one, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So, in this first application, Paul underlines the insufficiency of eloquence without love. Paul states that even those who speak without love Those who speak for the sake of speaking, for the sake of being heard, even if their message is a Christian message, are only noisemakers. Years ago, uh, a certain politician mastered the art of oratory to the point of drawing countries around the world into World War II. And it was his oratory talent which was at the heart of his success. His name Adolf Hitler, a man who mastered oratory, but totally devoid of love. But you don't have to go to World War II or to Europe to find those examples. Even as we look in our own homes, there is a time the temptations to want to win an argument. By our force of logic, by our tenacity, by our eloquence, and as I'm guilty of this, my wife isn't here right now, or she'd be saying, "Amen, but we can get into some discussion, some debate, and I'm just determined to prove my point, point. and maybe, maybe, in a if it were a, a stage for debate, maybe I would win the debate, but I didn't win my wife 's heart, because my debate was. My logic, my tenacity was lacking love. Are your wife and children convinced of your love? Demonstrating that sacrificial love for them, even at times when they're not as worthy as you hope they might be. The insufficiency of eloquence without love. Second application, of verse number two, Paul says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though i have all faith so that i could remove mountains and have not charity i am nothing so clearly using hyperbole by imagining someone who possessed the gift of understanding all mysteries and having all knowledge and all faith the result of having all these extraordinary gifts but without love is this says paul I can proclaim all things, I can know all things, I can be able to do all things, but without love I am nothing. You know, um, there are certain uh, professions that I tend to admire, um, but even some of the most noble professions, you know, a person can be a teacher, and it's possible to teach because you love teaching or because you love the subject matter, but if you don't love your students... Your teaching will be ineffective without value, Paul says. Uh, When I was at Penn State, I had a professor like that. Uh, I'm not sure why he was a professor. Well, I do know why he told us. He said, I'm only a professor because I I came to Penn State to be a researcher, And to do research, I have to teach a class. So here you are. I'm teaching you a class. (laughs) And that was the the extent of uh, interest he had in us. He just went through his notes and didn't answer, take questions, didn't want to talk to us, didn't want to know who we were. He just wanted to get through the class. so We could go do his research. He taught information, but his class was ineffective because we knew his heart wasn't in what he was doing. Of course, uh, preachers can also be guilty of this, can they not? We could try to have much knowledge and we can practice our sermons so that they sound reasonably fluid. I won't use the word eloquent, I'll save that for art. That was a great message this morning, brother. But if what we share isn't shared with a heart of love for the people who are sitting there listening, says I'm nothing this is without value hopefully hopefully if nothing else when you come to this church and hear the word of God preached you know that the pastors here really do care do love you third application verse number three and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body be burned and have not charity it profiteth me nothing Paul gives two examples here, the first of someone who donates all his goods to the poor and the second of someone who dies as a martyr. Now, as we would think of those two examples, more than not, we would tend to think, oh, that's, there's an example of real love, right? Somebody's going to give all his goods away or somebody's going to actually give their life that has to be a proof of love, Mm, not necessarily. Think of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? In Acts chapter 5, when it says they had a possession, we don't know what it was, a field or a house or something, but that they went and sold because there were many people who were in need and gave part of the funds to the church to be distributed, but saved another part, but led on as if they were giving the whole amount to the church. And it became clear that in fact this gift that they were made, a sacrificial gift, they, they sold part of their property. It wasn't out of love. It was somehow out of wanting to be known, wanting to be recognized, wanted to be applauded, wanting to be praised. And so God judged them on the spot. It wasn't done out of real love. And while it's true that um, you know, giving your life includes some form of self-denial, uh, all self-denial does not necessarily flow from a heart of love. I mean, all we need to do is think about suicide bombers who surely qualify as individuals who sacrifice their bodies as martyrs, but it's hard to imagine an act more devoid of love than their acts of terrorism, done in the name of their religion perhaps, certainly not done in the name of love. Again, what a tremendous contrast between the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of every other religion out there. But again, let's go back to our own homes, neighborhoods, where we work. Are those around you convinced that you love them? Not just by your words, but by your life of faith, by your actions, by your sacrifice, by your genuine love for them, worthy or not. You like them or not. Irrelevant. They respond in kind or not, irrelevant. You feel strong emotions for them or not, irrelevant. Love is a decision. You choose to love someone by meeting their needs, whether they are worthy or not, whether they respond in kind or not. I do like the way Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary to India, Uh, made some applications of these verses in some of her writings, but she wrote this. She said, if I can write an unkind letter, speak an unkind word, uh, think an unkind thought without grief and shame, then I know nothing of Calvary love. She said, if I belittle those whom I am called to serve or talk of their weak points in contrast perhaps with what I think is my strong points, I know nothing of Calvary love. If I have not the patience of my Savior with souls who grow slowly, if I know little of travail till Christ be fully formed in them, then I know nothing of Calvary love, she says. I think she was beginning to grasp what agape love was all about. Friends, we need to learn how to love according to God. Fortunately, this first paragraph, verses 1 to 3, which tends to be somewhat negative in its, in its tone, does have a very positive application. Okay, Paul is just saying, if you act this way, then it's not out of love, and it's worth nothing. But the reverse then is also true. If love, if agape love, does motivate my actions, then they immediately take on great value. If your teaching or preaching is stirred by love, if our witness is filled with love. If love is the source of our generosity and is the reason that we willingly make sacrifices for our Savior, then our actions have real worth in God's eyes. And so while I know that this passage is very well known by many of you and that this message probably presented nothing new, the Bible does state repeatedly that we are to always be growing in love. And just to finish the message tonight, let's take just a couple passages real quickly. In Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Right when we think maybe we're starting to master one aspect of the Bible, God comes along and says, well, there might still be a few things to learn. And so in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul states very positively of this church in Philippi, he says in Philippians 1, verse 9, he says, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So, it's one thing to love, yet God says there's still room for much growth, to love more and more. Let's turn also to 1 Thessalonians. Turn a few pages more to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse number 12, 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12. Where Paul writes again and says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And so, all of us can continue to learn and to grow and to be reminded what agape love is all about. And finally, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. He says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And you know what? Honestly, I I feel like I can take those last two verses and apply them to this church. In so many ways, honestly, in so many ways, I believe this church shows genuine love time and again in so many different ways, and praise God for that. But Paul says, he says, but even if this church is known for showing love, we still have much room to grow. May we learn to love more and more. And so for these next couple of weeks, as we come back to 1 Corinthians 13, I hope you wouldn't tune out by thinking, I've read that chapter, so you've probably memorized. There's probably people in the room here have memorized this chapter and have read books on what agape love is all about. Don't tune it out. All of us just need that regular reminder what agape love should be and how it should be shown in our lives. So let's just close in prayer as we thank the Lord for the agape love that He has shown to us and as He's so patient with us as He teaches us to love as He's loved us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do want to thank You, Father, for first of all revealing what real love is in a world that has... um, that is so confused and and truly so twisted in understanding even the very notion of love. But thank you, Lord, that you demonstrated that love toward us by the greatest sacrifice of all, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, laying down his life for us when we were completely unworthy. And now, Lord, as you've loved us, you teach us how to love. And so, Lord, I just pray we would be good students. I pray, Lord, that we would never be uh, those who would be resting on their laurels, thinking we've already learned all there is to learn. Oh, God, I pray that each of us would have a sensitive heart, a willingness to continue to abound more and more in love. And as we do that, Lord, not only will we honor you, but our service for you, our testimony for you will be that much more powerful, that much more true, that much more of value when it's generated by a heart of love. And so thank you, Lord, for your word. May you bless the remaining of the service, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.